This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Thursday edition of Invest Talk. It is May 23rd, 2018. No one person can know everything there is to know about investing. Okay, you just can't. You can't know everything there is to know about protecting your financial investments. It's too hard. There's too much to know. But here at Invest Talk, I try to bring 25 years of experience. 25, a lot more than that. Who wrote 25 there? Anyways, I've been doing it since I was 21. And now I'm 65, unfortunately. Um, but all those years, all those years about how to manage your money, you know, how to keep it safe during really tough times, how to grow it in a, in a normal fashion that doesn't take huge amounts of risks. And I can help you with, with what you want to do. It's not, it is, as I've said before, it's not rocket science. It's just hard work. You know, it's, it's hard work mentally, not physical, but mentally. So if you have questions, now it's time to ask them. 888-99-CHARTER is our number. And speaking of money and earning money, or at least, you know, investing your seed money, your seed money comes from your job, comes from earning that money day after day after day and solely investing. That's the seed money I'm talking about. Wage growth is up 1.2% in April. That's the seed money for most people. And that is a pretty good jump, by the way. And the question is, is it going to accelerate in the summer months? Is wage growth going to accelerate? So which, which areas of the country are growing the fastest? And which occupations were the most rewarded? Hmm. So I'll have some numbers for you here later on the show. When it comes to wages and career choices, you've got your own questions, I'm sure. So get your finance, investing, and income management questions to us right now. Our number, anytime number, is 888-99-CHART. And I'll start with a call that came in before today's program. Um, I wanted your opinion on the future of the cannabis market. I know um, that it's gotten a lot of attention from investors, but I just want to know what you think, especially as a long-term investment and how the industry will be growing in the next 10 to 20 years. Thank you guys very much. I think the cannabis market, which is marijuana, everybody, for those people who didn't understand what he said, is going to be a big market. I think it's going to continue to grow. However, picking who the winner is is going to be impossible, who the winners will be. One of the reasons that I think it's going to be impossible is because you still have marijuana illegal from a federal government. A federal government. No matter what states say, like California, Colorado, whoever, they can pass all the laws they want saying it's legal in their state. Well, it is legal in their state from the point of view of state laws, but it's illegal under federal law. So until that is, repa- is whatever you want to call it, until it's 
it's legal from a federal point of view, there's never going to be any big winners because you just don't know. Any one of those, anyone, anybody selling it, distributing it, they could be arrested and thrown in jail. So, you know, everybody's all excited about it. Oh, it's going to be such a huge thing. Well, you better not be too con- too uh, confident about your investments. Not until the federal government passes laws making it legal. Then we can sit down and talk. And until then, I'm not really interested in that that marketplace. But I do think, I do think it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger as far as a market. I do. Jobs with the highest pay, everybody. What do you want? What do you think they are, by the way? What do you think they are? Anyways, who's getting the best pay? Who is it? And where are those jobs? Now, this is an article, uh, or uh, yeah, an article written by Dr. Andrew uh, Chamberlain at Glassdoor.com, and he had some research that he did. And fastest-growing annual gains were in the rapidly growing tech hub of San Francisco. That's not a surprise, is it? Is not. It's a 3.7% higher a year ago. Okay, and what is that? What is that average job salary, annual pay? $69,392. So San Francisco is the sweet spot for pay in America. Okay, it's fastest growing and has the highest average. Houston had the second highest growth in April. But which tracked metro area was the lowest? Chicago. Chicago. Actually, uh, still rose 0.7% to 56195 per year, but it's the lowest. And, you know, Los Angeles and Boston are had weakness too. They didn't grow that fast. Now, the question of occupations. Occupations. Financial advisor averages fifty-five thousand, not nearly as much as a lot of people think, huh? Bank teller thirty thousand, attorney one hundred one thousand, truck driver fifty-three thousand, delivery driver thirty-eight thousand, web developer sixty-five thousand, network engineer seventy-one thousand. Okay, how about a professor, eighty-six thousand, up three point three percent. That's pretty good. Uh, a financial advisor, their salary rose 6.4%. That's pretty high, but still not, they don't make a 55,000 is average pay. So it's very interesting um, where the money is, what kind of jobs make the most money. And of course, the tech industry dominates, you know, making a lot more money. And become a, you know, if you, if you have children, man, you want them to be, you know, a network engineer, you know, something with web developer. They have the highest pay and the highest increase in salaries. So, think about that. What's on your mind? What shall we talk about? We welcome your calls and questions right now. You can call anytime at 888-99-CHART. Oh, Oh, here's a here's a question for you. Is that what you want me to do? Here's a question for you. Will higher oil prices grease the path to recession? That's going to be our main talking point today. Will higher oil prices grease the path to recession? 
recession. And some of the other things I want to talk about. Three statistics to watch for that will trigger a recession. Okay. And how Federal Reserve rate hikes always end up creating a meaningful crisis somewhere. Now, notice that all three of those are kind of negative, right? Kind of negative. How about a fourth negative? Existing home sales tumble as supply crunch squeezes harder. They tumble because of supply not being there. Not because of lack of demand. So, a lot of this information that might be negative, but I'm going to tell you, put a positive spin on a lot of it. But, because, you know, when every, when, as I mentioned yesterday, when I see a lot of negative articles, that tells me that the market's not done. We're going to, it's, we're still on a bull market phase. It's simple as that. Simple as that. The market was down today. The Dow was down 75 points. The Nasdaq down two. And the S&P down six. I think that is amazing. With the news that was out today about North Korea, what the meeting called off, don't you think the market would would normally react very negatively to that? And they kind of just shrugged it off. Initially, there was a big sell-off, down 200 and some points on the Dow. Then it ended up only being down 75. Kind of shrugged it off. Seems bullish to me. Now, mind you, I don't think we're going to, you know, I still think we're in that, correction phase, and I, and I have told you before on the show, I think it's going to last a while. But, the attitude is bullish to me. This is Invest Talk. I'm Financial Advisor Steve Peasley, and in just six days from today, Justin and I will be expanding or explaining the power of fundamental technical analysis in our webinar. These tools, these this information is essential. Essential for you to make informed buy and sell decisions in stocks. You too can learn about it. It's not, it's, you can learn it. You can learn this. It is something that can be taught and you can learn it. If you register for free, it's free educational webinar coming up on May 30th. So all you have to do is go to investtalk.com and register. Invest Talk continues. Would you like a brief list of real estate investment trusts, REITs? Well, Steve says they should be on investors' radar if they're looking for exposure to this dividend-focused sector. Yours now, if you're an Invest Talk insider. To get your list, sign up. Right now, it's free on investtalk.com. 888-99 chart. Let's go talk to Ty in San Jose. How you doing, Ty? Good, Steve. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I've got a question on uh, Southwest. When's a good time to buy? Uh, ticker L-U-V. Okay, this is Southwest Airlines, everybody. Uh, provides uh, pre predominantly point-to-point high-frequency short-haul domestic airline service to 100 cities. And everybody kind of knows that, I think. Um, it is a big company. It's $30 billion size, so it's a pretty big company. Growing sales slowly between... Two and four percent, you know, over the last four quarters, eight quarters really. Um, they were going to make four dollars and forty-six cents this year. That's twenty-nine percent more than last. Southwest is one of the best-run airlines out there. Just so everybody knows, they're going to make five dollars and twenty-four cents next year. Another seventeen percent increase. Very good cash flow. 
surprisingly very little debt. And why I say surprisingly is airlines usually carry a ton of debt because those airplanes cost so much money. Now, the stock was at $66 at the beginning of the year, and today it's at 51 Most of that uh, tie was because of the price of oil. As oil goes up, so that's one of the very costly items for airlines. Fuel. And now you can see why. I'm not a big fan of airlines for that reason, by the way. And another reason, they have lots of unions. And another reason is because when they take off the seats, that the empty seats are their inventory that are not that are worthless. So there's reasons why I'm not big on airlines. Doesn't mean I don't ever invest in it. I'm just not big on it. And I'll tell you right now, this $50 range, 50 51 looks like a lot of support will come in at this price. You're going to have to wait a week or two, but this is the price you want to buy it at. Ty, but I'd wait for the wait for the the lease start up again. It had a nice update today, but I would say let it break up above like the ten day moving average, maybe around fifty three dollars or so before you step into it. Okay. Okay. But it's Thank one you. of the best airlines out there. I appreciate the call. Yeah, I, it's one of the best airlines out there. Twenty two percent return on equity, which is very good. I mean, it's really run well. The there's not too many airlines that are run as, as well as Southwest. Not too many. Here's a term you should know. Over at NASDAQ.com, they host a glossary of more than 8,000 investing terms. One of the most popular search term is weighted average cost of capital, W-A-C-C, weighted average cost of capital. What does it mean? What does it mean? It's expected return on a portfolio of all a firm's securities used as a hurdle rate for capital investment. Often, the weighted average of the cost of equity and the cost of debt, the weights are determined by relative proportions of equity and debt in a firm's capital structure. You probably have no idea what that means, huh? I just gave you a definition, but there's so many terms in that definition that you probably don't understand, that are difficult to understand, that you have to dissect this. Weighted average cost of capital. Kind of important. When you're Invest Talk Insider, you have new opportunities to learn with concise, simplified reports written personally by me or Justin. Topics like annuities, wills and trusts, retirement programs, life insurance, that kind of thing. It's free at investtalk.com. We wish you the best as you take on the challenge of managing your money in a very dynamic marketplace. Invest Talk is here to help you grow your money. Taking your questions now, 888-99-CHART. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. So, the question, will higher oil prices, will higher oil prices cause the next recession. And it is very possible that it will. Remember, oil prices are up about 17% so far this year. They're pretty high now. But I think you got to put it in perspective. Remember how high they were? The average oil price, average in the last 10 years, is $75 a barrel. $75 a barrel. 
And remember, it got to a peak of 2008 of $140 a barrel before the 2008 shaves. I think it was 2007 or was it 2006? I'm not trying to remember. So even if oil goes to 90 bucks in the short term, that will not cause a recession. It will not. Now, will it go lower? I actually think usually oil prices go up. Oil and gas prices go up in the summer. But I think they're actually going to go down. I think we've already had the run in oil up. I think I think it's probably going down. We have plenty of supply. Don't think it, it's not a, a demand problem where we don't the supply can't meet the demand. We have the supply. What we have is worry about supply with what Venezuela and uh, Iran, you know, with maybe their supplies uh, onto the marketplace shrinking and therefore prices might go up because the world economy is growing and the demand is growing. Therefore, you know, the supply might get tight. I, I, I'm not buying any of that. <laughs> not at this time. I, I just don't see it. I, I might see people fearing it, but I don't see it's going to cause the next recession. Now, there are, the oil is one of three things that I'm going to talk about later that could, could with all three things happening, cause a recession. But that means oil has to give above like $75 and kind of stay there for a while. That's just one of three things that should, should happen to trigger a recession. And I will get to that later on in the show. So, no, I don't think it's uh, high oil prices are really going to be a problem for us, for our economy, for companies. Matter of fact, it might be even good for our economy because it means that there's going to be a hunt for more fracking oil in the Midwest, more jobs, more pressure to pay more people higher wages. I don't think it's all bad. I don't. 888-99-CHARTER is our number, 888-992-4278. Here's another one of those calls that came in before the show. It's on our anytime listener line. 888-99-CHART is always the number. I'm calling because I'm a brand new investor. I'm trying to get in the door. And I have roughly a $5,000 IRA in an old 401k. And I'm just curious as to what my options are with that IRA, should I just go ahead and roll it over into my new 401k at my new job, um, since that's where that IRA came from? Just really, what are what are my options with it, or should I just throw it in that 401k and do what it will there? Thanks. Okay, you might have a little confusion here. You, it sounds like you rolled an old 401k into an IRA. Okay, now you have a new 401k. And yes, you can roll an old 401k that you rolled into an IRA into the new 401k as long as you did not contribute any money into the IRA when it was an IRA. You can roll an old 401k into a new for your new 401k. You can roll an IRA into your new 401k if the IRA rolled from a 401k to the IRA, and you never put more money in it. What I would suggest is you do not roll the IRA into your new 401k. You invest that IRA in any way you want. If it's $5,000, you should probably be indexing and buy you know, an S&P, NASDAQ, 100 index. 
and just leave it there. And then your new 401k, fund it. Hopefully, you're getting matching money. Fund it to at least get all the matching money you can get. And then, of course, in a 401k, they give you options of mutual funds that you can buy. And if you need help with that, we can help you that. We have a, a system called My401k that can help you buy and sell uh, at different times the various funds in your 401k. But that's what I do. I leave it at the IRA as it is. I invest it, invest it in the index funds and just start uh, um, pumping money into my current 401k is what I would do. Okay, we're going to talk about the Federal Reserve before the you know after the break here. Federal Reserve rate hikes, they have always meant a crisis in the past. The Federal Reserve has a terrible, terrible record of causing recessions by raising the hikes. And I'll go over some of the, uh, it's factual. Well, I'll go over it. I want to talk about existing home sales as they tumbled this week, the report. Remember the new home sales? They also were weak this week. Does that mean something? And, of course, those three statistics I want you to watch that might trigger a recession. That's what we're going to talk about when we come back. What's coming up on the next on Invest Talk Friday, tomorrow, is a silent global economic slowdown playing out right now. Is it? Some are seeing scattered signs of weakness in global economic data. That's tomorrow. But for now, I'm here to answer your questions, 888 99 chart. Our podcast continues, but first, a reminder about our upcoming webinar. There are two tools that serious investors can't do without. Fundamental and technical analysis. We get a lot of calls from people who want to know how to analyze companies. These two techniques kind of help you look under the hood. There's competitors, there's positions in the industry, revenues, income. But you can't analyze stocks with fundamental analysis alone. Shorter term traders rely heavily on technical analysis. That shows patterns. There are trend lines and, and, and moving averages. It's not as complicated as it looks. It really isn't. Join Talks, Steve Peasley and Justin Klein for this free live webinar Wednesday, May 30th at 6.30 p.m. Pacific time. So we're going to pack a lot on this webinar. I hope you can join us. It's May 30th and it's free. Using fundamental and technical analysis to take your investing to the next level. All you do is register. Just go to investtalk.com. That's investtalk with two T's and investtalk.com and click on the invest talk tab invest talk is made possible by kpp financial as independent financial advisors kpp is able to scour the marketplace for the best investment technology solutions to help their clients reach their financial goals and stay up to date on their current financial situation Steve's waiting for your call now, 888-99-CHART. Hi, guys. I'm calling in with a question regarding investing in REITs. I am looking for growth and income, so was wondering if that would be suitable for IRA account or would a REIT be better in a tax law account? I'm just about 10 years out, hopefully, from retiring. So just wanted to see what would be more suitable for REIT and what the pros and cons are. 
Thank you for your opinion, and I will be listening to your show. A REIT, Real Estate Investment Trust, everybody, is really not designed for growth. It's designed for income. And the reason why I say that is because they're required to pay all their earnings, 90% of it anyways, to the shareholder in the form of a dividend. In other words, they can't reinvest in their own company that that income, that earnings. They have to give it to you in the form of a dividend. So it sort of retards their ability to grow. And so what they have to do is borrow money. Well, borrowing money with interest rates rising is a problem. Okay, it's not a good time to do it. REITs are very good in paying income. And it depends on whether you put it in a tax-deferred or a taxable account on your income. Because if you put it in the tax-deferred IRA, let's say, well, it throws off a lots of income in there, and you don't have to pay income tax. You don't have to pay any taxes on that money. If you put it in a taxable account, all that income it throws off, you have to add it to your adjusted gross income for the year it pays that income and, and pay income tax on it. So I, I, you have to, if you're in a low tax bracket, maybe that paying income tax on it is not a problem. But if you're in a high tax bracket, you don't want more taxes. So you want to put that REIT in an IRA. You see the arguments? Which is best for you specifically? I have to sit down and talk to you to find out, someone or your accountant, to find out what your tax rate is and what your needs are. It is a very good vehicle, REITs, uh, in retirement, throwing off income for you to live off the income. Because in retirement, you're no longer making active income from a job. So you're looking for other ways to produce that income. Okay. Appreciate the call. That was a good call. Okay. Uh, existing home sales tumbled. Uh, we had new home sales out this week and existing home sales out this morning. And the the new home sales, if you, I think I reported it to you, uh, we had 662,000 new home sales in April. Uh, uh, down from 672,000 in March, so like 10,000 homes left that were uh, sold, but they expected to be 682,000, 20,000 higher, and that was kind of a surprise uh, on the new home sales. Now we have existing home sales down. Now they're in the millions, by the way, in case you were under 5.46 million. Uh, uh, and a pace for per year for an April, well, that's up or down from uh, 1.4%. So it's down a little bit. Now, is this a problem? Are we having? Are we seeing some weakness in home sales? Well, mortgage rates are at a seven-year high. I'm sure that has uh, some impact on new home sales. The housing market is still very healthy. The builders' sentiment numbers are still very good, so they don't feel too bad. They feel like it's okay. And median prices of homes are still going up 2.8%, but that, uh, from a year ago, but that is a big slowdown. The prices are finally slowing down. Now, first-time buyers, first-time home buyers were 33% of the purchases in April. Why is that important? Remember how this works. First-time buyers come in at the lower end of the housing market. The 
the people in the, sold those houses to move up in the housing market. You got to have those first-time buyers coming in to push everybody up to higher and more expensive houses. That's how it traditionally has worked. The long-term average of first-time buyers is about 40% of the houses sold. Right now, we're at 33. Okay? A year ago, it was 34%. Now, why is it going down? Probably because of housing prices and interest rates going up. First-time buyers can't afford it. It's becoming more difficult. So, yeah, you can say we're starting to see the first tiny little cracks in the housing market, but it's still pretty healthy. But we are seeing a little tiny cracks. But we want to see, wait wait another month or two. We've got to see if there's a trend developing or it's just one time or if mortgage rates are going to flatten out now. They've gone up at a seven-year high. Remember, the Federal Reserve is going to probably be raising rates in June. And I would suggest that uh, that rate is already built into the mortgage rates. That rate increase is already built into the mortgage rates. I have a feeling we're seeing the peak in mortgage rates for a while my opinion, you can hold me to it in a few months from now. If it goes up much higher, you can say, yeah, you were wrong. But we'll see. Where do you get most of your financial news and information? There are a lot of great websites out there, but you can get lost of them, as you know. If you like a quick scan of useful money topics, remember to pay a visit to investtalk.com. That's our website, my website. Click on the Invest Talk tab, then Income Marketplace. Combining decades of experience at both fundamental and technical analysis, KPP has developed a strategy that filters through thousands of stocks based on business quality, chart strength, and underlying value. This strategy offers consistent exposure to the equity markets by focusing on only high-quality companies. KPP limits exposure to any one sector of the market. We're ready for your questions now. Call Steve at 888-99-CHART. Hi, my name is Venkat. I'm calling regarding BGF, BNG Foods. Is it a good time to buy? Bye. BGS, BNG Foods. We do own that in one of our managed accounts. So it is a company that we own and we have uh, written it down somewhat. Now it's written it back up. They went down to, to, what, $22 and then recovered here in May to $27. Uh, manufactures self-stable food products such as jellies, hot sauces, sold in the U.S., Canada, Puerto Rico. It's going to make $2.09 this year, and that's going to be a, a couple of pennies less than last year. And then next year, $2.21. Sales are growing about 5 to 15% per quarter. Return on equity is very healthy at 17%, high cash flow. Uh, pays a dividend of 7%, and that's what initially attracted it, attracted us to it. And I noticed buyers, insiders, were buying at the lows here, so they have faith in the company. Um, is it a good time to buy? Well, it bounced off that bottom after going sideways for about mm, a week or so. It then bounced off. It really did well because their earnings came in stronger than expected, uh, and then has been slowly marching up from there. Um, I would suggest that uh, it is still, it's, it's a $27 stock going to make $2.21. So it's, it's about a 12 PE or so, you know, so 
that's fairly low with a five-year range of 11 to 27. But you're buying this for the dividend, really. That's really why you want to own it. That 7% dividend looks pretty solid. Um, and this is not a bad price to buy right here. But don't expect huge growth. I mean, it might go back up to the you know, mid-30s. That's very possible. And I would suggest that's probably where the value is, somewhere around the mid-30s. And yes, this probably be a good place to buy it, but you got to buy it for the right reasons. You buy it for the dividend, not growth. BGS is a symbol. B-G-S. Okay. I talked about one stat, oil prices, that we want to watch that might trigger the next recession. Okay. What are the other two? So if oil prices go above $75 a barrel and the 10-year treasury above 3.25%, there's a reason I picked 3.25 here, but 3.25. Now, it's a little bit, of just a tad below 3% right now. So that's the second thing. So we don't have oil prices above 75 and we don't have 10-year treasury above 3.25. And the dollar index above 95. And we don't have that either. But those are the three things. Dollar getting stronger. Oil prices going up, uh, even with a stronger dollar. And the 10-year interest rates going up. This, would be, uh, this could be the trigger for the next recession. Now, there, that doesn't mean it's the only trigger. It just could be one of the triggers. This is why I, I don't think 10 years are going to get up to 3.25 this year. I don't think that oil will go above $75 this year. <laughs> I'm not sure about the dollar. I think oil's prices are peaking right now. I, I really do. And, you know, let's take a quick look and see if I can find out real fast um, what oil prices are trading at right now. Oh, yeah, oil's at $70.72, up a penny today. So I think it's peaking right in this range. It's about 70 bucks. But these are things I watch. I watch all kinds of stats to see if things line up to cause, that might cause it. That's what I'm looking for. You know, as a professional money manager, I'm looking for the next recession. Are we going to have a recession? Yes. When might it start? Because I have to react way, with the money I manage, I have to re react way before the recession starts. Because after it starts, it's too late. It's too late. Okay, so you have to decide, you know, a, six months, nine months before the recession, what you're going to do with the portfolio. Let's talk to Braden, Braden, I'm sorry, Braden in Knoll Valley. How you doing, Braden? Uh, hi, Steve. Thanks for taking my call. Thank you. Uh, well, I'm concerned because Roche Labs is uh, in a downtrend. Okay. Okay, so do you and own I, it? I wondered if you had any input on why why the stock's going down. Oh, okay. Let's take a quick look, see if I can find out. Yeah, it looks like it's going, uh, it fell a couple days ago, back down to its lows. It has been chattering from the end of April to, to today, uh, up and down in a very narrow range from $27.50 to $28 for that period of time. Uh, Roche Management Limited, RHHBY, a Swiss-based developer of therapeutics, 
prevented, uh, preventative and diagnostic agent treatments, various diseases. Big company, $188 billion, pays a 3.2% dividend. And let's see, sales growth is about 8 and 9% per quarter. Um, there, I don't see anything that would... That would that, I don't see any negative. I don't see anything real quick that would be negative. Return on equity is very high, 54%, which is good. Um, mutual funds, let's see. What are they doing? Mutual fund owners. Hardly any mutual fund ownership. That's interesting. I wonder why that is so. Hmm. That is interesting. Not much insider buying either. Hmm. I would say, uh, you know, it looks like you pays a 3.2% dividend. Uh, if you're going to hold on to this, Braden, you, you have to hold on to it for a dividend because uh, the growth is just okay. And the price, the five-year PE range is 8 to 21, and it's at 14. So it's kind of right in the middle of that. But since it has a great return on equity, great cash flow, uh, I think I would hold on to the stock. I, would, I think you need to hold on to it. Uh, I, and I don't. I think this is the lows that it's hitting at now. So you don't want to sell it at the low. That's not you know. The, it's fallen from like thirty-two, thirty-three dollars down to this level. I have a feeling you're going to see it float back up, maybe by the end of the year, back into the low thirties again. And then, if you wanted to sell it, I'd wait. I'd be patient with it. Okay, Braden. Brandon? All right. Thank you so much. Thank Steve. you. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Brandon. Brandon. I think that's the name. Let's take another question from our 24-hour listen line, 888-99-CHART. Hey, guys. This is Ken from New Jersey. Just want to get your uh, help on options trading. I've been reading up on it for a little while now, and uh, it is pretty confusing, almost like a completely different language. I've read a lot of stuff on Investopedia. I know Steve likes to recommend to go there first. It's a good source to use. But I'm still pretty confused with the terminology, basically. I understand the basics. I was wondering if there was any way that you guys could either run through it really quick and maybe give me an overview of what options is in that respect, or if you could recommend a source for me to use that might be able to explain more in depth, um, walk me through how options trading really works. I'll be listening on the podcast. Thanks in advance. Bye. Options are not my specialty. I know about them, but I'm really not well-versed on options trading and options. Justin is much better at that than I am because he's been working on it for a number of years. But options, okay, when you, uh, in general, option gives you the right to buy or sell a stock at a set price. And when you buy an option, you have the right to buy or sell, as a put option or call option, to buy or sell a stock at a certain price within a period of time. Usually options expire every month on the third Friday of every month. That's what it is. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an, uh, uh, the right to buy and sell a stock at a certain price. So a stock can move up and down, up and down. If it moves up in the right direction, you get to buy it at a certain price and you can make profits if it goes up. Or you can put it to somebody at a certain price. You can make money if it goes down. There's different. Now, that's just the options are confusing. Are. 888-99-CHART is our number. If you're quick to the phone, we can sneak in another call or two. 
is a silent global economic slowdown playing out? That's tomorrow on Invest Talk. But now, have you got a question for Steve? Call 888-99-CHART. Now, the Federal Reserve has been known over the years to cause recessions. In 2004 to 2006, the Fed tightened and it looked benign by the U.S. housing, but it looked benign. It mean, it looked like that tightening didn't cause a problem until the housing collapse in 2008, a couple years later. What is very interesting is that the Federal Reserve tightening, it's always later, year, two years later, that the effect finally hits the marketplace. In the late 1990s, the Fed stop and start tightening process they had back then. One was for the Asian crisis and then the long-term, I forgot the name of it, the Russia collapse. There was a couple of things going on there. Then they resumed tightening in the 1990s. In 1993, 94, we ended up in the, uh, the Mexican crisis and the market fell. The late 1980s tightening ushered in the savings and loan crisis back then. That was Greenspan's first tightening. Uh, then in 1987, that remember Black Monday, 1970, because Greenspan was tightening then. The early 1980s, uh, there was a debt crisis. That 1970s stag- stagflation tightening. So every time after they tighten, they start the process of tightening, and usually that process lasts a year or two, the tightening process. It's a long process. And when they start it, there's a recession to follow. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean it's all the Fed's fault. You're going to have people that say, yeah, it's all the Fed's fault. No, there's other reasons associated. There's a reason why they're tightening. They're trying to slow down the economy. The inflation's out of control or whatever it is. There's a reason why they're doing it. Problem is, is they go too far quite often. Frankly, I think they need to stop now. I think they can do one more time maybe, but then they need to stop for six months. Wait till next year. Let's see what happens. They don't. The long-term average of the Fed's fund rate is 3%. Right now, it's about 1.75. If they do another quarter point, that makes it 2%. I think 2% is ideal at this stage in this economy. Why? Because we have been used to virtually free money for so long, we're addicted to it, and we have to wean ourselves off it. And the Fed funds rate at 2% gives the Fed enough slack to lower rates if we do go into recession. And, of course, they can raise rates anytime they want if inflation gets out of control. So it's enough at 2% to give them the ammunition they'll need to help fight the next recession. And they have a history, and they know it, of going too far on raising rates. We don't know what the new federal chairman is going to be. He's brand new. We don't know. So that's very interesting what's going on. We can get on one more call in before the day is done. 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve. I've got a question and I wanted to take your uh, opinion on uh, the stock for Alby Marley, A-L-B. It's a lithium and specialty chemical uh, company. Appreciate your response. I'll be listening to your program. Thank you. 
Well, I had a bad day today. It was down 6.7% today. Uh, Albemarle Corporation, ALB, ALB, makes polymer additives, catalysts, and fine chemicals for the refining and consumer electronics market. It's a $95 stock. It's had a great run the last couple of years up until just this year. Right around the new first, you know, right around November, December, it peaked at $142 or so, $144, I think it was the top. Uh, and now it has tumbled down to 95 Pretty big fall, right? Well, that peak, that rise, was all anticipation of higher oil prices and, you know, the economy's improving and all that stuff for the last couple of years before that peak. So now it's come back down. It bottomed at about $87.50, went up to 105 now fell sharply down to 95 So that's another 10% fall right there. Is it worth it? No, it's still expensive. I, I think you stay away from it. Too expensive still. And it doesn't pay a good enough dividend. No, I stay away from it. That's it for today, everybody. I leave you with a reminder that you will still, we, you can, Get some help with your portfolio if you want. You still can set up an appointment in San Jose on June 6th. That's where I'll be. To reserve a time for your personal review with me, go to the Invest Talk tab, Invest Talk tab on investtalk.com. I'm Steve Peasley. Justin and Justin Klein and I want to thank you for coming along with us today, and we'll do it again tomorrow, Friday. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein chief executive officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listening line at 888-99-CHART.